All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you again for joining us here on the set. Uh, for another exciting podcast uh, today. We want to thank you for all of your support. I want to thank you for all of your support of those who have subscribed, those who comment, um, those who view our podcast, no matter on what particular platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or wherever you access your podcast from. Thank you so, so very much for your support. Um, over these last seven months that we've now put this uh, particular platform before the people. Uh, I hope and I pray that the discussions that we are talking about here uh, on the podcast are hitting you right there on Main Street, uh, merging practical everyday issues um, that goes between every single person's life and giving you a practical application on how to apply that to a biblical worldview. Uh, Here it is on January the 25th, 2021. Uh, Last week, we just celebrated the uh, birth, the accomplishments of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, a national holiday. And now we are just a few days, five days um, into a brand new administration um, of our government. Um, The administration of Biden-Harris has now been inaugurated on last Wednesday, and we now have a brand new uh, administration in the White House. Uh, We also have some new senators. We have some new congressmen um, in the House of Representatives. We got a whole new slow, a slay of uh, a lot of different people now uh, that are going to be making rules and regulations and policies and enforcements um, for the American people for the next four years. And so now that we have gotten through, uh, at least in my lifetime, uh, the most tumultuous, the most divisive Um, political um, environment that I, in recent history, can remember. Um, The question now begs is, what now? Um, But I want to share something from my heart as I've really been trying to ponder this, um, not just with this election, but over the last couple of years. Um, You know, the Bible says that we're not unaware of the wiles or the schemes of the devil. And one of the things that we have to understand, I'm talking about now from a biblical worldview, is one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is the tactic of divisiveness, is when he divides. You've often heard um, the old phrase, divide and conquer. Well, it's actually a Latin um, saying, and a divide and conquer in politics and sociology is gaining and uh, maintaining power by breaking up the larger concentrations of power into pieces that individually have less power than the one implementing the strategy. And so divide and conquer simply means I divide a larger segment into smaller groups so that the smaller groups don't have as much power as the larger group. And it's a very, very interesting, a very, very effective strategy. Uh, As a matter of fact, it was first and been attributed to Philip II of Macedon, and it was utilized by the Roman ruler Julius Caesar in his um, military exploits. But when you're looking at it from a biblical worldview, um, how the enemy uses um, the tool of divisiveness, uh, it works beautifully in accomplishing his plans. 
And over the last couple of years, um, now, as I've said before on many different podcasts, that America, um, through its inception uh, all the way up until modern day, America has always been divided, um, even in its early years. And you're going all the way back to the Civil War when you're talking about the North and the South. You had a certain people that didn't want this. You had another group of people that did want that. So they split and they warred against each other in order that competing values and ideologies would eventually win out. Uh, the American Revolution, um, all of these things that have traveled through the history of America has always pit one side against the other. We've always been, uh, as it were, a unite, uh, excuse me, a divided nation um, in a lot of degrees. But this particular political season uh, has been quite different. Um, when we are literally now pitting um, people against people, we are pitting um, Americans against Americans, we are pitting black against white, rich against poor, educated against non-educated, um, citizens against non-citizens, uh, we are pitting one against the other. And the actual divide and conquer tactic, what it does is meant to splinter um, ideologies in so much as it will empower a governing party or a ruling party to exercise control over the masses. And when you look at what this is doing in the kingdom of God, and when you look at the author of division, uh, which is Satan himself, and I know many don't believe uh, in the power of Satan or the being of Satan, uh, but nevertheless, he is nonetheless true. Uh, this rule has been absolutely detrimental um, in the last years of our democracy. And so what does this look like? Um, as I was talking last week uh, for the um, celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King, um, his life is an absolute um, brilliant uh, package. Now, he was not without his faults. Um, anybody that is a student of history understands that. Um, but realizing what God did in using a Baptist minister um, who believed in the 66 books of canon in order to reconcile a splintered nation um, beyond ideologies and beliefs. They used a Baptist minister who used the Bible as his guide and God as his source in order to usher in a healing to a nation that was deeply divided on racial issues. And Dr. Martin Luther King, I mean, from early on in his childhood, um, anybody that was around him understood that he had a special anointing upon his life that was not yet realized until he was uh, forged into the civil rights movement in the late mid-1950s. But Dr. Martin Luther King uh, spoke of a sermon, one of his 2,700 speeches that he did um, in the course of his career during the civil rights movement, um, to a sermon called the Coalition of Conscience. Um, it is an absolutely brilliant, um, it's a theological piece. Um, of course, for those who love the word of God, is a, it is a deeply enriched, uh, enriched uh, theological piece by which Dr. Martin Luther King um, excerpts a couple of passages and then really um, exploits them in how, what was going on in his day at that time. But it is also a social reform in so much as he is calling not just Bible believing Christians, but people with a conscience to understand what is going on to eventually unite people, to unite people. 
And so he 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 spoke this sermon called A Coalition of Conscience. And now, for those who don't understand who Dr. Martin Luther King is, um, he was an absolutely brilliant man, um, a man with purpose and a man um, with great destiny. And God used him in tremendous, tremendous ways. And as we come together and we celebrate his birthday on the second week of January every year, this national holiday, as we come together to celebrate this, uh, I wonder if we really understand the significance of his work. Um, this was a man that was deeply entrenched to the nonviolent movement. And among his contemporaries of that day, um, it was a very um, uh, deeply divisive issue of being nonviolent. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, believed in the nonviolent approach in order to gain the rights in which he was fighting for. Now, when you look at his contemporaries of that day, the Malcolm X's of that day, um, they stood in starch opponents to wanting the same thing, which was liberation, but the means by which both of those men went about it was dramatically different. But Dr. Martin Luther King was actually born uh, Michael King Jr. on January the 15th, 1929. And he was the middle child to Michael King Sr. and Alberta William Kings. Uh, the Kings and the Williams family had roots in rural Georgia, uh, Georgia and Martin Jr.'s grandfather, A.D. Williams, was a rural minister for years before he eventually moved to what is now called Atlanta in 1893. Uh, A.D. Williams took over a small and struggling church by the name of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, with around 13 members at the time that he took over. By the time of his death in 1931, he had turned that little 13-member congregation into a bustling uh, spiritual congregation by the end of his pastoralship. And at the end of his death in 1931, Martin's dad, Martin Sr., stepped into the pastoral role of Ebenezer Baptist Church. And it was at this particular point that Ebenezer Baptist Church began to start to establish the deep roots by which it would eventually be known for. But Martin's dad, Martin Sr., um, was also a very successful minister as he was the pastor of Ebenezer uh, Baptist Church. And he later went on to change his name to Martin Luther King Jr. in honor of the German Protestant religious leader Martin Luther to which he patterned many of his Christian beliefs and practices after. In due time, his son, Michael Jr., uh, would follow his father's leadership and adopt the same name for himself. Thus, we now have Martin Luther King Jr., um, by which he is known for throughout the ages, uh, but he adopted the same name as his dad did with Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer. And many of us owe um, a great debt of uh, gratitude to Martin Luther um, in so much as that we would all be Catholics now if it were not for the reformation of uh, Martin Luther. So he had a dramatic uh, impact on not only religious um, institutions, but world institutions uh, from that standpoint. Uh, but I'm bringing Martin Luther King up because as you begin to study his life and as we celebrate his life and as we look at his accomplishments, we relegate Martin Luther King to the I Have a Dream speech in the Washington March in D.C. Um, but the I Have a Dream speech of Martin Luther King is just one of many that Martin Luther King felt so passionately about um, throughout the channels of his life. Uh, Martin Luther King attended Booker T. Washington High School, where he was said to be um, a very precocious student. Um, he skipped the ninth and the 11th grade. And hear this, he entered into Morehouse College at 15 years old in 1944. 
He was a very, very popular student, but a very unmotivated student in his first two years of college. In 1948, Dr. King, um, or Martin Luther King at that time, earned a sociology degree from Morehouse College and then went on to attend Crozer uh, Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania, where he was elected class president in a predominantly white senior class. Martin Luther King eventually went on to get his B.D. Um, at that same college in 1951. And with a fellowship that he won at Crozer, he was able to enroll at graduate studies at Boston University. And he completed his residence for doctoral degree in 1953 and eventually was awarded that degree in 1955. Hear this, at the age of 25 years old. Martin Luther King received his PhD in Boston in 1955, at the age of 25 years old. He was a man that was well beyond his years. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King had a promising career. Um, as a matter of fact, he could have went to work for IBM at that time, making six figures uh, at that time, which would have been the equivalent um, uh, with the um, uh, cost of inflation and all the things that we have right now. He could have been making in excess of about $250,000 at 25 years old coming out of Boston College in 1955. Uh, it was in Boston that he met his future wife, Coretta Scott, and out of that particular union, they bore two sons and two daughters. Martin Luther King, during his last year of seminary, came up under the guidance of the Morehouse College president, uh, Benjamin E. Mays, that strongly influenced King's spiritual development. Um, he was a strong advocate of the Christian belief and how Christianity would be the tool used to heal the nation. So Benjamin E. Mays, the, the mentor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., strongly believed that Christianity and the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ would be the tool that could be used or that would be used to heal the nation. And so Dr. Martin Luther King took this advice of uh, Benjamin E. Mays and strongly adopted that into his, uh, his speeches and into his civil rights movement. And he was an outspoken advocate for racial equality and encouraged King um, to view his Christianity as a powerful platform to unite the nation. And so here you have Dr. Martin Luther King, whose history is far reaching and uh, requires deep attention to in order to understand all the different aspects of this man. But here it is that God used a man, um, a Baptist minister, a, a preacher um, to usher in the civil rights movement, the Voting Rights Act that would eventually touch the lives of every American. And he is now enshrined in American history forever. But God used a Baptist minister who strongly believed in the tenets of the word of God in order to bring forth healing to the nation at that time. And Ecclesiastes chapter number three says that there's nothing new under the sun. I've been on record as saying that one of the things that is hurting America is that America has a problem that it does not address. It's a problem that cannot be relegated. It's a problem that cannot be uh, driven into policy. America has a deep sin problem. It's a deep sin problem. Uh, divisiveness, racism, uh, prejudice, all of those things are rooted in sin. All of those things are rooted in sin. When one particular um, uh, people group believes that they're better than another people group, it's not that they're actually better than a people group that they think that they are better than. It's an issue that is strongly rooted in sin. And you cannot legislate sin. 
You can't put policies in place in order to make people do right. Now, you can put policies in place to punish people who do wrong, but you can't put policies in place to make people do right because that is an issue of the heart. And one of the things that I stand on record as saying is not that we have a new administration. Uh, people believe that the problems that we have been facing for the last number of years in our, in our nation, not just going back to the couple of years or the three years or the four years or the 10 years, but the deep issues that this nation has been dealing with for years upon years upon years, those things are not going to be solved with the new administration. And when you're coming off of this last political season where you had 75 million people vote for uh, President Trump and you had 80 million people vote for now President Biden, you have a, a nation that is deeply, deeply divided. And it is going to cause severe problems. Uh, I believe that 2021... Um, will also be a year for the ages. As I don't speak that into existence, I do believe that we are not out of the storm yet. Uh, I do believe that there are some difficult times coming because America is so splintered in its beliefs and ideologies. Um, you have competing values on both sides of the coin. And so what do we do as we move forward trying to understand how to heal a nation? Well, I'm going to stand flat-footed and say that just like Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, he believed that the healing of the nation would come from the Word of God, from people practicing the principles and precepts of the Word of God, that that was going to be the only thing that could heal the nations is getting people into a right relationship with Christ, is getting people into a right relationship with God, is getting people into a right relationship with their creator so that they can then have right relationships amongst themselves. The most important relationship that any person will ever have is not the relationship with your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, or your siblings. The most important relationship that anybody will ever have is a relationship with the creator, God himself. Because that is the relationship that will define all other relationships. That relationship will define all other relationships. If that relationship is not intact, if that relationship is not beneficial, if that relationship is not set in stone, then all of the relationships around that will be affected because that primary relationship is not in place. And America has deeply left its first love. There's a sin problem in America. There's a sin problem in America. We don't want to talk about it. When you start talking about sin, people's uh, you know, eyebrows get raised and, <coughs> excuse me, and they turn away to this side and to that side. You know, when you start talking about the issues of sin and talking about what's going on in our world, in our nation, in our community, in our churches, in our families, when dealing with these issues that we have to deal with, at the very core of them all is sin. And so what does America look like for the next four years? Well, let me try to give you um, a political view and then I'll give you a, a, a biblical view because I believe the biblical view is what's going to fix the problems. Um, because of how divided this nation is politically, and it is, it is politically divided, uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, you could be like the ostrich and stick your head in the sand all you want, but America is politically divided. And that political division is based on ideologies, not party affiliations. 
So what does that look like for the next four years where you have a democratically controlled Senate, you have a a democratically controlled um, House, and now you have a democratically controlled um, uh, White House? So what does that look like for the other party that is now not in place? Well, having a party that controls all three branches, um, and, and, and I don't say all three branches in regards to the judicial part of our three branches of government, uh, judicial, executive, and the legislative, um, but in theory, um, they do hold all three branches. So right now, uh, this is nothing new to policy and uh, partisan, uh, politics. Uh, we've had particular parties that ran all three branches before. Uh, you can go back as recently as 2001 to 2004 under the George Bush, uh, Bush administration. Uh, Republicans at some point in time occupied all three branches. Uh, they had the executive, the legislative, and then they had a conservative court. Uh, you go back from 1961 to 1969 under Presidents John F. Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, they had all three branches. They had the judicial, they had the executive, the legislative, and they had a liberal court. And so we've always had this. So these particular things is nothing new to American politics. But there was such a time at one point in time in our history where you had such things as called people were that were um, – uh, uh, liberal Republicans, and you had moderate Democrats. Um, but those factions of those two parties have now eradicated. So you have a staunch Democrat and you have a staunch Republican. So you don't have anybody right now that kind of toes the line. So what you see now is decisions being made not for the benefit of all people, but for the benefit of particular parties. And this is where we're going to get into a lot of issues. It's because now policies are being done not for the benefit of all people, but being done for the benefit of party affiliations so that parties can now exercise their agendas on particular policy issues. And so now you have uh, Republicans doing Republicans things and you have Democrats doing Democratic things and you don't have Democrats that are working with Republicans. You don't have Republicans working with Democrats. You now have isolated parties in every sense of the word. And so the next years of our um, po uh, political landscape, I believe, will be a bit tumultuous because you're going to start to see things now that are going to affect us on very grassroots levels. So what does this mean in regards to the divide and rule conquer on uh, a divide and rule aspect? Well, when you divide and conquer, you are breaking up larger platforms into smaller groups so that the larger platform has more influence over those smaller sections of people. And so what does that mean for a nation? Well, Matthew chapter 12, verse number 28 uh, clearly says that every nation or kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you're talking about Martin Luther King, as I talked about last week when we were celebrating the life of Dr. King, when he was asked what was the driving force of his political affiliation and why he was doing what he was doing in regards to social reform, uh, there were two things that Martin Luther King Jr. referenced, uh, and both of those things came out of the Word of God. He referenced Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 28, that every kingdom or nation divided against itself shall not stand. And then he also referenced Galatians chapter chapter number three, verse number 28, where it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek 
Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And Dr. Martin Luther King was accused of having this pie in the sky approach of trying to get all people to unite under the aspects of just being humans, uh, just being people. And he was ridiculed to that to the hilt uh, with people that did not share that ideology, that did not share that belief. Um, he was living in a time that was deeply divided amongst blacks and whites, and there were some serious issues that he had to address in his particular landscape. And so he faced great opposition uh, in propagating the message of oneness amongst people in the United States, and not just in the United States, but around the world. Because I've often said that when America uh, sneezes, the world, the rest of the world catches a cold. And so the America, which being the beacon light of the world, was just a catalyst to everybody else to follow. And so he received great, great persecution for his belief of trying to unite the nations. Well, Dr. Martin Luther King was a champion beyond his time. Um, and again, I, I draw this analogy to Dr. King in, in, the, in so much as we talk about him a lot. Um, we talk about his speeches a lot. We talk about what he did a lot. Um, but we relegate him to a very small segment of who he actually was. Uh, this was a powerful man that was used by God greatly um, in order to bring forth um, some of the freedoms that we now enjoy. Um, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 notwithstanding and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were all championed uh, by this man who was used by God to bring forth these measures into our nation. But I want to just kind of give you something about him because I believe that there's a direct correlation uh, to what's going on, to what was going on in his time and what's going on in our time. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was a man that was driven by purpose and determination. Uh, he understood that he had a call greater than himself. He understood that his purpose was something greater than himself. And so he lent himself. He even, uh, I dare say, even sacrificed himself. And I use that word very loosely in order for a greater cause beyond not just his life, not just his wife's life, not just his kid's life, but he laid his life down and did things in his life to benefit all people. And one of the unfortunate truths that we have right now in 2021 is that we don't have that voice uh, right now on our landscape. We don't have that voice um, that is a unifier. We don't have that voice that is trying to unite people for, for a common cause. Uh, when I try to say things like, um, it is not a black or white issue, it is not a political issue, it is not a de Democrat, Republican issue, it is, has nothing to do with those particular things that are on the forefront of what the news media might tell you and social media might tell you and what your friends around the water cooler might tell you. Um, this is an issue that has to deal with the heart and the heart can't get fixed by itself. Um, the heart has to be fixed by the one who created the heart and that can only be God himself. And so as we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King and as we look at what he did, um, as we celebrate all the monuments that have been erected all around the nation, the streets that have been named after him and all of those things notwithstanding, I ask ourselves, uh, I would ask ourselves this question. Do we really understood what he stood for? And when you understood what he stood for, um, you would understand that Dr. Martin Luther King's message is still resonating here in 2021. So when you look at who he was, 
Um, in the 11 year period from 1957 to 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King traveled uh, almost 6 million miles, spoke about 20, uh, 2,700 times, appearing wherever there was uh, racial injustice, protests, and, and action. He wrote about five books during this time. He led massive protests. He penned what has been rightly called uh, the prison epistle of his day uh, when he wrote the letter from the Birmingham jail. Uh, a manifesto of the Negro Revolution um, that he wrote from the jail cell of Birmingham, Alabama, that, which has been rightly regarded uh, by scholars alike that has been a uh, treasured document throughout the ages. Uh, but this man was arrested almost 22 times. He was assaulted four times. His house was bombed. His family was threatened. Um, many different attacks were hurled his way um, throughout his years of civil rights. Uh, but this was a man that was deeply dedicated to the cause of equity. And here's what I would like to ask uh, the people um, as we go into a new season. Um, as I've said before, <laughs> being accused of not being realistic um, in today's times um, can be somewhat in I'm not going to say discouraging, maybe that's too strong of a word. Um, disheartening may be too strong of a word as well. Um, you know, God will give me the word that I'm looking for. But you're now living in a time right now to where uh, friendships have been splintered, uh, sometimes even beyond repair um, because of where we are right now. And, and my, my thing is we are deeply divided over temporary issues. Issues that have nothing to do with eternity, issues that have nothing to do um, with things that are going to progress humanity forward in a very positive way. We are splintered on issues that at the end of the day, that at the end of the day do not matter. Um, this particular political season that we're entering into now with a brand new administration, a brand new house, a brand new Senate, um, a brand new group of people that are going to be making policies for the rest of the world and the rest of uh, uh, the people in the world that are going to affect, and please hear this everybody, what happens in America affects people everywhere else. Make no mistake about it, America is still a world power. But how do we get past um, division? Well, Paul writes something in 1 Corinthians chapter number one, where he is addressing a divided church. Um, he's addressing a divided church that is deeply splintered. And because of this divided church, it is not having the impact in the society by which it has been placed. Now, again, the reason and the connection to all of this is the celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and all of his accomplishments last week as we, take, uh, we, as we took off work, as the NBA sported MLK jerseys and all of the like. Now, what does it mean? Paul is writing to this church in, uh, in, in Corinth um, because they are splintered on so many different forms. And the divisiveness in the church is rendering them ineffective to uh, be the light and the, the salt in the light of the earth. Because the church is so divided, they cannot do what God has called for them to do in the world, which is be the salt and the light of the earth. 
because the church itself is so divided. Paul is writing to them saying you can never accomplish the goal and the purpose and the design by which you were created for because inside the house is chaos, chaos. And if inside the house is chaos, then how can a world uh, take cues from a organization that is in itself splintered and disorganized? So Paul writes in first Corinthians chapter number one, verse number 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Paul is talking about this thing called sectarianism and sectarianism was something that was very pervasive in the Corinthian church at the time that Paul is writing because he is writing them, asking them the question, how can this be if everybody shares the same thought and the same matter of opinion that Jesus Christ is Lord? If everybody agrees on the eternal issues, how could there be such strife and division in the house on temporary issues? So here's what he says, but that you be united in the same mind and have the same judgment for it has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So Paul says that I'm getting reports from all of these particular people, Chloe in particular, that there are factions inside the house of God. Now hear this, whatever happens in the church is now being duplicated in the world. Please make no mistake about it. What the church sanctions, the world embraces. What the church sanctions, the world embraces. And because the church is supposed to be a nonpartisan, a Bible-believing Jesus Christ is Lord organization, and because that is the message that all men, white, black, and or indifferent, are invited to the foot of the cross to receive salvation that comes from the person that hung on the cross because the church is supposed to be that organization that does not take sides, but believes in the unilateral belief that Jesus Christ died for all men. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever shall believe in him shall not uh, have um, condemnation, should not enter into damnation. The church preaches a message that all men can come to the foot of the cross. All men. Now, when the church begins to preach alternative messages other than the message of Christ, then the world adopts that message because regardless of what any man, any woman would say, the church has been set up to be the salt and the light of the world. So Paul gets this message from Chloe saying that the church at Corinth is divided and because the church at Corinth is divided, then it will therefore uh, show the surrounding nations that they too can be divided. Now, 2021 will lend us some problems that are going to have to be solved unilaterally. And that means a coalition of ideas and beliefs. 
as Dr. Martin Luther King wrote that particular uh, sermon, The Coalition of Conscience, he was calling on people from all different walks of life to come together under the mantra of dignity for human beings that shared the same belief. And so he said a coalition of conscience means that people just need to agree on basic human issues. And everybody, now we have entered into a place to where the sharing of ideas are now contrary uh, to popular thought. And I have concerns about that. I, I, uh, if you go back and look at last week's podcast when I talked about free speech being um, infringed upon and the things that were being done to, um, in my opinion, to uh, stifle free speech because free speech does not agree with the particular parties and particular ideologies of certain individuals um, who control major aspects of our society. Uh, I have still great concern about that, um, even in regards to what Amazon did to Parler, Amazon AWS, and taking Parler completely off of the internet and not providing them a platform or a space in order to um, um, expand their particular beliefs. Um, in America, I still have great concerns about that because I believe um, that that's going to be a catalyst that will push us forward into further divisions. And as the divide gets deeper, as the divide gets deeper, the chasm widen, uh, widens. Um, and this is something that I believe we're going to have to deal with in 2021. Um, one of the things that I think we have to uh, really come to grips with is this idea of competing opinions um, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, make no mistake about it, both parties, um, both parties have now taken extreme measures um, in regards to Democrats and or Republicans. You have not just a difference of opinions on both of these sides of the aisle, but you have a difference of ideologies. And ideologies are deeply held convictions, deeply held convictions um, that in some, in some shapes um, cannot even be bridged because they are so deeply, deeply entrenched uh, in the heart of the person. And now you're living in a world where we are deeply entrenched in partisan politics, where um, ideologies are so deeply held that the crossing of the aisle, quote unquote, are going to be things that you don't see for the most part. So now we're going to be going into a time to where I believe we have to be even more strategic we have to be even more purposeful to do those things which would cause unison among people with different opinions. And this is why the idea of free speech is so uh, dear to my heart. It is not a religion by any stretch of the imagination, but free speech keeps the lines of communication open. I won't draw a direct correlation to what's going on in our time and what I believe is the attack on free speech. I won't uh, draw a direct line to these particular regimes, um, but I will draw an analogy to them. Uh, if you are a student of history, um, if you understand what history is like, and if you look at some of the regimes that have come and gone throughout the channels of world history, uh, you will see that these things first started with the crushing of free speech and free thought. 
Because what that does when getting everybody on the same page and everybody thinking the same thing without the fear of retribution is not a recipe for the advancement of that people. When you can't have dissenting opinions, when you cannot have dissenting conversations and a difference of opinions, then what you have is a totalitarian type of regime when everybody must think the same way. And that's just not what America is. Martin Luther King was able to bring forth a, a, a thought uh, a speech of dissenting opinions because free speech was protected. Because he was allowed a platform um, in order to espouse the beliefs that he held deeply within, which in his time was completely contrary to those who held certain positions, Bull Connor notwithstanding. Uh, so there were people in place and people in power that did not hold to the belief of a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, we also had people like J. Edgar Hoover who did things beyond the capacity of his office to stifle the, the free speech of Dr. Martin Luther King, who tried to snuff out um, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, who did propaganda campaigns and dropped leaflets all in communities about Dr. Martin Luther King. They did everything within their power, J. Edgar Hoover did, to stifle um, the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But because we had things in place to protect him standing behind podiums and pulpits and, and, and amassing crowds inside of churches and, and gathering um, um, the Freedom Riders and, and talking about these things, he was able to usher in a whole new worldview that now many of us in 2021 are able to enjoy. And I believe that those particular ideologies and those particular beliefs are now what's at stake in 2021. We have gone beyond tolerating people that do not agree with us. And I believe it is a very dangerous place to be in. Um, I've said many times before, uh, not to ring the alarm, not to be the chicken little saying that the sky is falling, not to go to that degree. Uh, but I do believe deeply within that there is a reckoning coming. I do believe that there is a reckoning coming. Uh, I do believe that those that are not aware of their history are bound to repeat that history. And we have to have people that stand up and say, hold on, not that. And, and we, when we don't have those people, when we have everybody acquiescing to the same thought, to the same opinion, we put ourselves in very dangerous times. And when God used this man, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., to um, usher in a whole new uh, form of thinking, to release people from the ideas that you don't have to agree, but your opinion does not invalidate you from the American society. Now, just because you have an opinion that is different than mine does not mean I exclude you from the landscape of America because you do not share the same opinions. How dangerous is that? How dangerous is that that we are now entered into that particular space to where those ideas now uh, separate you from American society and you are deemed a threat because you have an opposing opinion? Well, everybody, the term divide and conquer is never so much true than, it, than what it is right now. 
Um, I want to say a couple of things to you in Jesus' name that I believe deeply within the confines of my own person that I believe are splintering America in a way that we have not seen in years past. There's nothing new under the sun, um, as the as Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So what has happened has already happened, he says. So there's nothing new in that regard. However, we have now things that are available to us in 2021 that we did not have in 1960 and 1950 and 1940. Uh, can you imagine, if you will, if social media was prevalent during the days of the civil rights struggle in the days of Martin Luther King, Mega Evers, Malcolm X. In those days, if social media and the platforms that we now have available, if they were available at that time, what could have happened? We now have mediums that are available to us now that we've never had before. Well, now at any given time, Facebook has, in any given day throughout the week, Facebook has at least one billion people accessing its platform every single day. One billion people. Social media has a greater platform than does the news media, than does CNN, than does uh, MSNBC, than does uh, Fox News. Social media has a far-reaching um, audience than any other platform, period. Social media has now become the age of information, where people are now not going to these particular news platforms, but they're going to social media to get their information and to forge their opinions. Why is this very concerning? Because if I only have one train of thought on those social media platforms, then what I begin to do is start to manipulate people because that's where they're getting their information. When I don't have a variety of thought and a variety of opinions to allow people to choose, then I get myself into a very, very dangerous situation. And so as you're looking at the social media platform by which we on Studio B access, we say some stuff, I say some stuff as the host here uh, on Studio B that have gotten a couple of my posts taken down um, because I've said some things that have been contrary to um, popular belief and the culture of that particular day. Um, and so if it's not um, par for the course for anybody else, it wouldn't be for me as well. And so what I say in, in the name of Jesus is that we, we understand what's at stake here. What's at stake here? Uh, for the last four years, there has been um, this, this, this unyielding political culture that has just been very, very toxic. Uh, you've had uh, parties that have not just disagreed, but have literally gone after each other's throats. Um, and now we're in that place right now to where that age of politics is kind of par for the course. It's, it's the norm. And I believe it's a very dangerous place for us to be in. I don't know what these next four years are going to hold. I, I don't know what they're going to hold. I, I don't know what these next four years are going to be like. I do have some concerns. Um, I do have some concerns. As a, as a Bible-believing Christian, I do not place my hope, my heart, my efforts, my confidence into men, fallible men. 
Uh, the Bible tells me not to place my trust into men and horses and chariots. So I do not do that. I do not look to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for my strength, for my support. I don't look to the state house. I don't look to city hall for any of those efforts. I do believe that my help does come from the Lord, Psalm 121. I do believe that he knows um, the desires of my heart and he will keep me according to the purpose that he has for me. I do believe that with every ounce of my being. I believe that no matter what administration that I may be going through, God is able to keep me. Uh, he's able to keep my family, uh, no matter what is going on economically, no matter what is going on socially, no matter what is going on politically. I believe that I serve a God who keeps me no matter what situation that I may be in. That is a deeply held belief that I personally have. Um, it is a deeply held belief that I espouse to my family, to my friends, and to all of those who are in my immediate circle. I believe that God has us in the palm of his hand, John chapter number 10, and that no man can pluck us out of his hand. I believe that. I do believe that also we are to be engaged in the process. The idea that there has to be a separation between Christian values or Bible-believing Christians to separate themselves from the political process, I believe, is a misnomer. Because, again, going back to the first part of this conversation, God used a Baptist preacher to influence political um, agendas. Um, he's, he met with uh, John F. Kennedy. He met with Lyndon B. Johnson. This being Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a preacher of the gospel of Christ. So you have a preacher who believed in the tenets of the word of God, but was also engaged in the political process. So I do believe that there is a merging between the two. I don't believe that the two are isolated. I do not believe in the whole mantra of the separation of church and state. I do not believe that the state has a right to influence the church, uh, but I do believe that we have a part to play in the political process. I do also believe that, unfortunately, because of the giant of politics, that there is sometimes an abandoning of core principles when one enters into the political realm. So a deeply held man or woman of God that has deeply held political, excuse me, uh, biblical beliefs. I do believe, unfortunately, that there are some times in which that person has to put their own uh, Bible beliefs on the shelf and compromise to a certain degree in order to get into that particular arena. Unfortunately, I believe that that's par for the course. And I believe that anybody that plays ball in that particular arena has to play ball on all levels. And so there is that part of it that is very, very disheartening to the believer that I have deeply held biblical beliefs. I want to engage in the political process. I want my voice to be heard. I want to stand up for what I believe is right from the things in which I hold convictions to. But I understand that those particular beliefs and convictions will bring forth also persecution. And so there is an apprehension of the Bible-believing Christian to engage in the political process at any deep level, um, any deep level beyond, you know, a post here, a post there, a tweet here, a tweet there. You know, many people are apprehensive to get into those kind of political arenas, and I absolutely understand that because of the divisive issue that we have now been facing over these last uh, couple of years and even the last decade. So what do we do? How do we engage? Um, the Bible is replete about what it mentions with division, 
how we are to operate in the world, even though we're in the world, not of the world. Um, the Bible has a lot to say in regards to those particular issues. What do we do? What is my response? How do I engage in this culture? How do I personally engage in this culture? I have a lot of different opinions about this um, this political landscape. And in the next coming weeks, we're going to do a couple of shows that are going to be deeply um, political. We're going to talk about some issues here on Studio B that are going to cause some eyes to raise because there are some things that deeply concern me in regards to the political landscape. There are some things in which I see coming down the pike in regards to policies uh, that will directly affect me here on Main Street, that will directly affect me and my family moving forward. Uh, I am um, uh, familiarizing myself uh, with policies and things that are in place, cabinet members that are coming into um, particular uh, um, power that will directly affect me where I am currently at. Now, again, I don't want people to get too alarmed and stay up at night pacing the floors about this particular thing and that particular thing. Listen, no matter what problem you facing right now and no matter how big that problem was, God got you through it. God is uh, uh, not a respecter of person. God can bring us through whatever we are going through. That not with being the, uh, the case here. I want people to understand that in order to heal the nation, we have to address the issues of the nation. And the issue of this nation in particular is an issue of sin. And the church of Jesus Christ has the answer to the world's problem. We have the answer. And that answer is the person of Jesus Christ. Um, the person of Jesus Christ is, is the only solution to the problem. Martin Luther King was convinced of that, which is why he permeated all of his messages um, with the gospel message. When you listen to any speech that Dr. Martin Luther King gave um, through his lifetime of civil uh, advocacy, you will see permeated and laden in all of those speeches, deeply held biblical beliefs that he espoused not only in churches, but that he espoused in podiums and as he espoused with world leaders, he would deeply put in what he held to in regards to his biblical beliefs. And he believed that the Bible was the answer to the world's problems. And I echo the sentiments of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was used greatly by God to influence this world for greater good. That the answer, the answer, the answer is the word of God. And so everybody, as you are now entering into a whole new year, 2021, a whole new administration, a whole new way of life, uh, all of the things now, uh, COVID-19, you got on the landscape, you got vaccines that are now being pushed, you got a $1.9 trillion economic stimulus plan, uh, plan that has now been put forth. You got a whole lot of stuff just in the first three weeks of this new year. And I believe that in the same vein, you're going to have 2021 being another year that we're going to have to pray our way through. I want to encourage you with everything that I have in me to stay the course, to keep your hand in God's unchanging hand. 
uh, to believe that God is able to keep you, to believe that no weapon formed against you will prosper, to believe that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him, to believe that all things will work together for your good to those who are called according to his purpose, to believe that nothing can separate you from the love of God, to believe that to the core of your being, to believe that to the core of your being and place your trust not in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, not in your state house, not in your city government, not in your city officials, but to place, to place your trust in the God who has you in the palm of his hand. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we may ask or think. He is able to do that. He's able to do that. But here's the remedy, America. It comes from Philippians chapter number two, verses five through and 11 where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in the likeness of men, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, giving him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul starts off by saying that we got to yield. We got to yield to what God is doing in our lives. Yield to what Jesus wants to accomplish. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not our kingdom. This is not our home. And so, saints of God, I want to encourage you to pray through your trials, to continue to trust God in whatever you're going through. God has us. God's got us. But we got to return back to the throne room of grace. We got to go back to our first love. We got to get it right with God in, in order that he may get it right with us. Our hope is in God. I want to thank you for joining us here on the set of Studio B next week and the week thereafter. We have some very exciting guests that are going to be joining me right here on the set of Studio B. Some discussions that are going to be hitting you right there on the main street of your life. I guarantee you that you're going to like what you hear. Uh, make sure that won't, no matter where you're following us from, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you like, you follow, you subscribe, you share, you comment. Uh, make sure that you don't miss one episode here at Studio B. And if you have, and you, and let me just put this in here lastly, if you want to be a guest on Studio B and think that you have some conversation to offer right here at the desk of Studio B, I want to make sure that you email me at pastormdh at studiob.com. That's PastorMDH at StudioB.com. Send me an email. Uh, let me know what you want to talk about. And should God grant us his grace and mercy, we'll have you right here <clears throat> on the set of Studio B. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We love you. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.